Hello and welcome to the Renovation Church Podcast, where our vision is to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and change the world. My name is Mason Smith, and I'm the creative director here at Renovation Church. We are so thankful that you're joining this podcast today. We hope that today's message inspires you and draws you closer in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, enjoy the message. All right. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> good morning, dear. Every day is good. Hey, I'm glad y'all are here today. Uh, we are continuing our series going through the letter of First Peter. We've been in this for about eight weeks now and have a few weeks left to go. Um, today, we're going to be in verses 17 through 22. So if you have your Bible, if you're following along, you can turn there. I'm, I'm preaching this series from the, the English Standard Version, just so, just so you know. Um, Today, what we're going to be working through is probably the, it's, it's the most confusing passage in all of 1 Peter. Uh, in fact, uh, a lot of um, biblical scholars think that this is the most confusing passage in the entire New Testament. And so depending on where you go to, went to church growing up or that denomination, there's a lot of conflicting ideas here about what Peter's trying to teach. And so that's kind of some of what we're going to be trying to address today is, is what's he trying to communicate. Um, the great pastor and theologian Martin Luther, who was a much smarter man than I will ever be, here's what he had to say about this passage. He said, a wonderful text is this, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the Testament, so that I do not know for certainty just what Peter means, and I cannot understand it, and I cannot explain it, and there has been no one who has explained it. That gives me a lot of confidence as a pastor this morning. I'm like, oh good, I'm going to try to explain it. Another commentator said, his words were no doubt clear to those who first heard them, but they have been hard for later generations to understand. And so all this study this week, I spent so much time and, and got into a lot of commentaries, and none of the commentaries in my arsenal really helped. Uh, I listened to a lot of different sermons and what other pastors had to say about this. That didn't really help. And so I, I, I will admit to you, I had the temptation on about Wednesday. I was like, if I just skip over this, is anybody going to notice? Like, I thought I could just like jump past these. I don't know if anyone's really reading along or if they'll call me on it. I avoided that temptation because this, we just have to talk about things that are hard to understand. Like we got to talk about the verses that we don't like or that maybe even maybe a little bit unclear. And so as we work through this today, I cannot promise you that you're going to leave here understanding everything about 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8, 17 through 22. But I promise you, you will understand the main theme of this passage, which it's all about Jesus. And that's what's clear. And that's going to be really our focus as we get into this today. Last week, we ended with Peter talking about five virtues that Christians and the church should have and how those virtues determine how not just we love one another, but really they determine how we're supposed to love our enemies, those who come against us, those who persecute us, those who oppress us. He, we also talked about potential persecution and suffering for doing good and how God sees us and he sees what someone does to us as well. And this passage we're going into is really a continuation of that, because remember, this is a letter that Peter wrote, meaning when he sat down, he didn't sit down and he's writing this letter to this, this group of dispersed Christians. He didn't sit down and write 
chapter one, verse one, right? He just wrote him a letter, one continuous letter. Now, what we've done sometime, you know, in, in the past is someone went through and they added chapters. They, they said, let's break this down into chapters. Let's get, let's uh, call these verses. That way we can know how to reference different places in the Bible. And so those chapters and verses were not in the original text. They were added uh, much, much later. And those are really good, but they can also prevent us from reading this uh, with this continuous flow of thought like we're supposed to. Whenever we read the Bible, we've got to read it in context. We have to know who was he writing to and what was going on in the world at the time that he was writing. And so with all that in mind, uh, we're going to break this section down in three ways. Here's our roadmap for this morning. We're going to start off by talking about Jesus' suffering which is verses 17 and 18. We're going to talk about what Jesus did and why he had to do it. And then the next part is Jesus's proclamation, verses 19 through 21. We're going to talk about the what and the who. And this is going to be the section that's a little bit tough. And so what I'm going to do in these verses is I'm going to give you some different uh, thoughts and theories and concepts that, that people believe, that is taught, and then kind of work you through um, what I think is wrong and what I think it's actually saying. And then the last part is Jesus's exaltation. We're going to talk about where is Jesus now and why is that significant? Significant. Why does that really matter for us today? So let's get into that first section. This first part of this passage is all about his suffering. And he starts out in verse 17 by saying, For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It's better to suffer for doing good than doing evil. Now, if you're like me, I'm like, I'd rather not suffer at all. Like, if that's an option, I'd rather just not have to, to go through anything. But the, the point, the fact is, all of us are going to suffer. Like, every one of us, at some point in our lives, we're going to have times of suffering. We're going to have times of hardship, of, of chaos, and of trouble. And he's saying, hey, yeah, you, you can, everyone's going to suffer in some way. But it's better to suffer because you did something good, because you did something right, because you made a stand. It's much better to suffer for doing that than to suffer because I did something wrong and I messed up and I dropped the ball and now I've got to pay for what I did. It's better to suffer for doing good than doing evil. And then he's going to point to Jesus who sets the example for this. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That is the entire gospel right there. Like in one verse, we get all the gospel. Now, if you're new to church, you might say, well, okay, I've heard that word gospel before. What, is, what does that mean? The word gospel literally translates into good news. So what's, what's the good news then? Well, the good news is that Jesus was perfect. He was just. He, he was righteous. And because of all that, Jesus suffered and he, and he died. And, and because he did that, he exchanged his righteousness, which was perfect, for our unrighteousness. And he took on all of our spiritual debt, all of our, all of our problems, and he gave us his clean slate in return. Okay, that's, that's what the gospel is. And then Peter uses this phrase, bring us to God. Now that means a, a couple of things. If if Jesus did all of that to bring us to God, then that means that we were separated from God in some way, right? Which we absolutely were. Let me walk you through a few verses that, that, that show you this. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. Isaiah says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
All right, and then we fast forward to the New Testament, which reinforces all this. Paul said in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Now you might hear that and think, okay, I know I'm not perfect, but I also don't think I'm that bad. Right? Like, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm fairly moral. I, I treat people right. I've got good work ethic. I go to church. I give tithe sometimes. I pray. I, I, I think, you know, I work hard. I'm better than a lot of people that I know, right? And, and, and therein lies the problem with that kind of thinking. The standard isn't how you compare with the person next to you. The standard is God's holiness. The standard isn't the people in your life that you know are really, really bad. That's not the standard by which we measure how we're doing. The standard is God's holiness. And so if we measure ourselves by God's holiness, we all have to admit, hey, we're actually pathetically short of God's standard. Because I'm, I'm not a good person, right? The Bible teaches that. Now that doesn't sound like good news, does it? That sounds like bad news. All of us fall short. All of us have turned our own way. That's bad news. But Paul, a couple chapters later, he's going to give us some good news. He says in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. That's how much God loved us. God didn't leave us in our sin. He didn't leave us messed up. He didn't leave us in this hopeless situation that we were in, but instead he showed his love for us. He proved his love for us by sending Jesus. And so going back to what Peter said about bringing us to God, we were separated from God and Jesus came to bring us to God. He came to, to make a way when there was no way. He came to restore what was broken. Now the second thing that phrase bring us to God means is it, it's a Greek phrase that means to gain an audience in court. So when he says, hey, Jesus came and he exchanged his righteousness for your unrighteousness. He came to bring you to God. He's saying, and because of that now, you have an audience, right? You have an audience, not just with court. Now you have an audience with God, meaning now you can be in a relationship with God. You can be with him. You have access to God. You have access to the king. You have access to forgiveness of sins, to grace, to mercy, to all those things. Now that's good news, right? That's really good news, because what would have been fair is God just leaving us as we were. That would have been fair. In my life, I hear people all the time talk about how God isn't fair. God's not fair. I, I tried to get this job, I didn't get it. God's not fair. My marriage was falling apart and God didn't restore it. God's not fair. Something bad happened to me and I don't like it because life hurts, that's not fair. And I completely agree with you, God isn't fair. But I'm grateful God's not fair. Because Jesus hanging on the cross, that wasn't fair. Jesus enduring all that suffering, that's not fair. It wasn't fair for Jesus to exchange his righteousness for my unrighteousness. So because of that, I can say, praise God that he's not fair. Like, that's the gospel. That's what the good news is. And that's really at the heart of this entire passage here in 1 Peter chapter 3. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he did. It's all about this, this unfair trade of I get his righteousness and he gets my mess in return. That's not fair, but I'm really glad for it. That's what the gospel is. And that's the clear part about this section. It's that Jesus' suffering meant our salvation. That's why he did it. He suffered so that you and I could be made right with God. But this verse isn't only about his suffering. It's not only about his death. 
It's about his victory over death. And so as we've been talking about for the past eight weeks, we've talked a lot about all these trials and a lot about suffering and all these things. There's no assurance here in 1 Peter, there's no assurance in the Bible that the pain you're going through is going to end. There's no assurance that things in this world or in your life are just going to get better. But there is a promise that this life isn't all that there is. And that's where our hope is. And that's why you and I, we can go through our times of suffering and we can face suffering and view suffering different than the rest of the world. Because for this world, this life is all there is. Like, and so that's why they're like, I want to avoid suffering at all costs because this, I've got 60, 70, 80 years on this world. I don't want to suffer. I just want good things to happen. I want to live out my dreams. I want to pursue the American dream. I don't want to hurt. I don't want pain. And yet as Christians, we can say the same thing. Like, I, I don't really want to suffer. I don't really want to hurt. I don't really want to go through times of intense trial. I don't want to lose anybody I love. But it's also, if, I, if those things happen, I don't lose my hope because for me and for you and for all of us, James tells us that this life is a mist. It's a vapor. It's here one moment and then it's gone the next. So everyone in the world is trying to live it up. They're trying to live their best life right now. They're trying to avoid any kind of issues or problems. And for us, we're like, hey, but I know that this life, this isn't the end of the story. And so I'm not going to cling so tightly to what happens to me in this life. I'm not going to cling so tightly to what I have or my possessions or whatever it may be. Instead, I'm going to put my anchor in Jesus because he is the thing that's going to last. I don't put a lot of hope in this life because I've got a life to come. And that's why I can't get rattled the rest of the way the world gets rattled. And that should be your story as well. So the first part here that he's teaching us about is Jesus' suffering, why he did it what he had to do. Now we get to the next, the next part here. This is where it gets a little bit complicated. What we just talked about, that was easy. But now we get into, uh, the waters are going to get a little bit muddy here. Verse, verse, uh, end of verse 18 going into verse 19 says, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they, did, they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. In your Bibles, some of you like to highlight verses. Some of you might be like, oh, there's a verse that speaks to me. I'm going to do some scripture art. This probably isn't one of those verses. This is one of those that it's like, I'm just going to kind of stop my highlighter and I'll pick it up in a, a couple verses here because this one's just complicated. It's just a little bit strange. It's a little bit weird. And, and, and so we could ask some questions about this. We could ask, well, who are the spirits that are in prison? What does that mean? Where did Jesus go? What did Jesus say? What, what was the whole purpose in all of this? And there's, there's, a, there's a lot of questions, but there's really not a lot of answers. But there are a lot of theories and so I, I want to give you a, a few of the main ways that this is interpreted this morning, three theories, and then I'll give kind of what I think at the end is really what's going on here. So theory number one, Jesus went into hell between the time of his crucifixion and his resurrection to preach to the dead. 
This is a belief that was made popular by the Catholic Church. And if you grew up in a Catholic Church or a Lutheran Church, you've probably grown up reciting a version of the Apostles' Creed. It, probably thousands of times, right? And, and this was me. As a kid, I, I knew this. I had it memorized. And, and the, the, the Apostles' Creed would say, he descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures, right? And, and that's, that's, what, that's what they teach. But the problem is, nowhere in scripture does it ever say that Jesus went to hell for a time. It doesn't, it doesn't teach that. Just because it's taught that way does not mean that it's right. Because 1 Peter 3.19 and Ephesians 4.9, they both teach that Jesus descended into the earth. That means he died and he was buried and he was put into a tomb, right? He died. Because not only was Jesus 100% God, he was 100% man, which means he had a real physical body and he died a real physical death and he went into the grave, into the tomb. That, that's, that's what that means. And, and more evidence to support that Jesus did not go to hell for three days like so many people think is when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was crucified between two criminals. And what did he say to one of them? He said, today you will be with me where? In paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, uh, if, in case you don't know, hell ain't called paradise, right? But, but heaven is. And so that's what Jesus was talking about. And that's really, so, so because of all that, this first theory that Jesus went to hell to preach, it, it doesn't really work for us uh, from a theological standpoint, okay? Theory number two, Jesus went and preached to offer people who had died a second chance salvation. This is widely taught in a lot of different churches and a lot of different denominations. But again, this has to be dismissed like the first theory because just like there's no evidence that Jesus ever went to hell, there's no evidence that anyone ever gets a second shot at salvation. We don't. And that's why what we do in this life matters. See, we can't just say that this life is a mist, it's a vapor. That doesn't mean that it's insignificant. Now, this life is very significant. More importantly, the decisions you make in this life are extremely important. The decision you make in this life, this temporary life, to follow Jesus, that can impact all of eternity for you, right? It's, it's the most important thing that you can ever do. And so theory two doesn't really work out for us either. And that brings us to, okay, so what does this mean? And this is, this is what I believe. It's not long. It's pretty simple. Theory three, Jesus proclaimed his victory over sin and death to those who was dead, to those who were dead. He wasn't offering anyone who died a second chance. What Jesus was doing during this time, he was just simply proclaiming to all of creation, to everyone, everywhere, living and dead. He was just proclaiming who he was, what he accomplished, what he did. That's, what that, that's just literally what that verse means. And so as we move on from that, then we get to the whole Noah thing, which is a little bit weird too. Wayne Grudem, who literally wrote the book, Systematic Theology, here's what he had to say about this passage. He said, this passage, once it's cleared of all misunderstanding, should also function today as an encouragement to us to be bold in our witness as Noah was, to be confident that though we may be few, God will certainly save us as he did Noah. And to remind us, just as certainly as the flood eventually came, so final judgment will certainly come to our world as well. And Christ will ultimately triumph over all the evil in the entire universe. And so are we ever going to understand fully and completely what 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19 means? Probably not. But can we understand the theme of this passage? Absolutely we can. 
Because the big theme of, of what we're talking about here is that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, then now is your time. Like today, let today be the day of your salvation. Because that, and that's why he references Noah. Noah was, he, he was preaching, and he was telling, and he was warning, and he was inviting everybody to, to, to come to salvation because this massive flood was coming. And so he preached this message, but no one listened. Now, a lot of people theorize that it never rained on earth before the flood, and so because of that, this idea of this crazy, massive flood, it, it wasn't just insane. It was incomprehensible. They didn't even, they didn't believe a judgment by water was coming because nothing like this had ever happened. But Noah, despite all that, he trust, he, him and his family trusted in God for salvation. They obeyed what he said and they invited others to join them. And this is still what we do today. We trust in God for our salvation. We obey him. And finally, we invite other people to join him as well. Noah and his family were saved by an ark. You and I today we're saved by Jesus, by what he has done, by what he's accomplished. And so you and I now have this mission, we've got this purpose to warn the world and to invite everybody into salvation as we can. And that's not just my job to do up here, you know, on a stage. Well, you're preaching, like, that's kind of what you're supposed to do, warn the world, invite people to Jesus. Like, that is what I do, but I don't do this just from a stage. I do this in a coffee shop. I do this at the ends of the world. I do it wherever I am, wherever I go. I want to invite other people to respond to this message as well. And that's your job too. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then that means you, shocking, you actually have to follow Jesus, right? You've actually got to do what he said. You've got to live how he said to live. And you've got to invite everyone that you can into this salvation message. It's not just my job. It's your job as well. And so let's keep going here. Verse 21 Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what he's saying here is baptism, it's a, it's a symbolic picture of salvation. Right, last week, we got to see nine brand new believers baptized, which was amazing. It's one of my favorite things we do as a church. I love seeing people get baptized. I love seeing them make the decision to follow Jesus. And then right after that, man, they get baptized. And it's like they're just showing the world who they are now. Because that's what baptism is. It's, it's a symbolic representation of what's happened inside of us. Because when we proclaim that Jesus is Lord and when we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that's, that's when we're saved. But then the first step of obedience, that first step that we take is to get baptized. Like, hey, I want to show my family. I want to show my friends. I want to show my church. I want to show the entire world this is who I am now. Like, this is what God did inside my life. Because when we go under the water, we're showing that, hey, just as, just as Jesus had to die, man, we're dying to ourselves. We're dying to our former life. And then as we come out of that water, just like Jesus came out of the tomb on the third day, we're just showing, hey, I've been spiritually raised to life as well. I am no longer who I was. I'm a new creation. The old, it's gone. It's passed away. It's dead. I have become brand new. That's what baptism is. It's a symbolic representation and picture. Okay, so we've covered two sections so far. Are you still with me? Yes. Whew, right? All right, third section. Third, and I think it's the best one. Jesus' exaltation. So he, he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Let me break this down why this is so good. 
Jesus suffered and he died and he rose again, but that wasn't it. Then he ascended, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. What that means is that he has complete and total victory and authority and power over absolutely everything, over the entire universe. Now, that might not fire you up this morning. None of you are shouting, hooping, hollering like, I can't believe this. This is crazy. But for the people who were to read this letter back then, man, when they would have heard this part of the letter, their jaws would have just dropped open. It's like a mic drop moment. Like all things are subjected to Jesus because remember, they're living in a time where they're subject to the Roman government. They're subject to people who absolutely hate them and are, are terrorizing them and are oppressing them. And Peter's writing this and saying, hey, this isn't the end of the story. I know things are looking bleak right now. I know you're going through some things, but one day when this life ends, there's gonna be all of eternity where you're no longer gonna be subjected to these kinds of people who hate you, but instead you're gonna be subject to Jesus. Remember, this is a temporary life. There's an eternal life coming. There's an eternal life coming. They needed to be reminded that even though you feel alone, you're not really alone. That even though you're hurting now, this hurt, it's not going to last forever. Because your pain that you're going through right now, that's not the end of your story. It's just a, it's just a chapter. On June 18th, 1815, it was one of the most famous battles in history. It was the Battle of Waterloo. And this is a battle between the French army led by Napoleon and the, the German Dutch army led by the Duke of Wellington. So they had this battle. And after the battle, the news, the news of the outcome was sent to England. And this is a time where there's no social media, so you can't just blast out in a post like, hey, here's what happened. There's no TV, there's no news outlets to announce to everyone really quickly, hey, here's, here, here's what happened in the end of this battle. So what they did was they went up to the top of the tallest cathedral, they hung a banner, and they began painting on it, Wellington defeated. And that's when this huge fog cloud moved in. That was all they could see, Wellington defeated. And so obviously the news spread pretty quickly to everyone in England. They were, they were distraught. Wellington was defeated. Napoleon was victorious. There was turmoil. There was, there was chaos. But a few hours later, that fog lifted. And that's when they got to see the full message. Wellington defeated the enemy. And so all of a sudden, all this doom and gloom, it, it turned to joy and celebration. And what looked like defeat was only a part of the message. They didn't get to see it all. On the cross, what Jesus' disciples saw when he died was Jesus defeated. But then three days later, they realized that's not the end of the message. It's really Jesus defeated sin and death. He got to see the full picture. They got to see that entire message. And that's the message for us today. This is the kind of hope that we have. And maybe you haven't understood a single thing I said all morning. It's been confusing. It's complicated. Don't think, well, I'm stupid. This is so far beyond me. I'm stupid too. I don't get it either. Come back next week, right? What I want you to hear, though, is this very uncomplicated message, this, this clear good news that Jesus suffered and he died and he rose and in doing so, he defeated all sin and all death and he did it all for you. 
you're not a perfect person. You're not even a righteous person. The Bible teaches us you're not even a good person. But that's okay. Because Jesus knew that you weren't going to be good. He knew that you weren't going to be righteous. And so he came and lived that righteous life for you that he knew you were incapable of living. And that's what I want you to know this morning. That's what God wants you to understand this morning. It's that as we think about our life, as we think about the sufferings and trials and these things that we have to endure, we have to remember that what looks like defeat in this life, it's only a part of the message because we've got eternal life. And as for me, I know that one day when I finally breathe my last and I stand before God, I'm gonna hear these words that I'm longing, longing to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's all I wanna hear. What are you gonna hear when you stand before God one day? Do you have that kind of assurance that he's gonna welcome you into his kingdom and say, well done, good and faithful servant? You finished your race. You did what I wanted you to do. Or are you gonna hear what so many people in this world are gonna hear? Depart from me. I never knew you. That's what a lot of people are gonna hear. I don't want that to be you. And that's why I'm preaching this message. That's why I'm trying to make this as clear as I can. Because I don't want you to miss eternity. If you've not made a decision, to place your faith in Jesus, then today has to be that day. Life's a mist, it's a vapor. That means we're not guaranteed tomorrow. I meet people all the time and they're like, well, I wanna follow Jesus, but I wanna get out of high school first. I wanna follow Jesus, but I really need to get through college because I mean, these are like my, my best years. I wanna, I wanna have fun. Uh, I, I, wanna get, I, I wanna get saved, I'll follow Jesus when I get a family. Or I'll follow Jesus when I get really sick. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. And that's why I am urging you, I am pleading with you, make the decision today to surrender your life to Jesus. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that right now. If you bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm gonna provide you with a moment, just you and God. Actually, I wanna give you a minute or two are you right with God? Have you received forgiveness? Do you know if you were to die today that you would for a fact hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant? Or would you still say, I hope so, but I don't really know. Today, you can absolutely know with 100% assurance and confidence of where you stand with God. Some of you right now, you need to make things right with him. You need to ask him to forgive you of your sins. You need to acknowledge that he is Lord. You need to lay your life down before him and receive that new life that he offers you. So I'm gonna give you a moment to do that right now. Father, I 
this isn't just good news. This is, this is great news. Hearing what Jesus did for us. I'm still in awe of it. Because you've just, you've transformed my life. You've given me a new life. I'm not the same person I used to be. And so God, I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful, Lord, that you have called me for such a time as this to spend my life just proclaiming what you've done to the world, starting right here in this church. Because yeah, there's lost people at the ends of the earth, but there's also lost people in this room that still haven't made that decision. And so God, today, I'm just, I'm praying that you would do what only you can do, Father, that you would, with the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would convict them to where they would know I'm not right with God. God, convict them in such a way that they can't even sleep tonight until they make that decision. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. I will forever be eternally grateful for the sacrifice that your son made on my behalf on the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church Podcast. If you'd like to support Renovation and our ministries, then head over to renovatethecity.com slash give. It's because of your faithful and consistent generosity that we're able to continue ministries like this all across the world. If you'd like to learn more about Renovation and our ministries, then head over to renovatethecity.com. If you enjoyed today's message, then we'd encourage you to share it with family and friends. Thank you again for joining us and God bless.